0: It is a beautiful, beautiful day, amen? amen. And not just because it's sunshiny and warm out, but because our God is good and faithful to us today, amen? amen. Well, I'm so glad all of you are with us today. Uh, if you haven't gotten a chance to meet me, I-, I wanna hang out with you. I wanna spend some time together, get, grab lunch, grab coffee. Uh, hit me up after the service, uh, I'll give you my phone number. We could text and, and, and plan a time to, to get down. Uh, to the nitty-gritty of who, who you are, who I am, and I just want to be available to this church family. Amen. So this morning we're beginning a new sermon series uh, looking at the wilderness wanderings of Israel uh, in the desert as they, as they struggled uh, with failures and weakness and, and struggles with sin and rebellious hearts. And we're going to look at their failures in contrast to our own. And in all of that, we're going to see how God is faithful to his children. Even when we wander in rebellion. And so this next series, we want to look at God's mercy, his grace, his unfailing love. And we want to remind our hearts and our minds that Yahweh is always faithful even when we are not. This series is going to challenge us to consider our own sinfulness. And this isn't something we like to do. And it's not something we should make, uh, you know, we don't want to dwell on our sin. But we want to consider our sin in light of God's mercy and grace so that we can praise him all the more. And run to him in repentance for the sins that we sometimes cling to. I think this is a beautiful practice leading up to Easter, right, To, to run to repentance, to look to the Lord to be more like him to confess our sins and then come to Easter Sunday just filled with the joy of the Lord because of how much love he's poured out to each one of us. Amen. Yes. Uh, the, the pastor, David Platt, he writes this. He says, every Christ, for every Christian in every culture, repentance is necessary. This doesn't mean that when people become Christians, they suddenly become perfect and never have any struggles with sin again. Amen. But this does mean that when we become followers of Jesus, we make a decided break with an old way of living and take a decisive turn to a new life. This is literally what we've been looking at in the series on Colossians. We literally die to our sin and to ourselves, our self-centeredness, self-consumption, self-righteousness, self-indulgence, self-effort, and self-exaltation. That was a lot of self. In the words of Paul, we have been crucified with Christ, and we no longer live, but Christ lives in us. This is the purpose and the goal of repentance. And it's such an important part of the Christian life, and this morning, as a preface to Israel's wanderings in the desert and looking at their failures in sin, we're going to look at at Psalm 78. So, if you have your Bibles this morning, let me invite you to open to Psalm 78. If you need a Bible, go ahead and put up your hands. One of our ushers would love to give you a copy of God's Word. And we're going to look uh, at this incredibly beautiful Psalm. This Psalm teaches us that the failures of our past are intended to be a lesson for the present generation, a lens that leads us to our own repentance. Psalm 78 actually gives us kind of a recap of Israel's history, uh, their rebellion in the wilderness, despite Yahweh's faithfulness to them over and over again. And this psalm was written to remind Israel that Yahweh is a God who rescues His people, who leads them safely through those times in the wilderness, in order that the current generation, as Psalm 78:7 7 says, should set their hope in God. And not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. Now, I want you to take a, time, take a moment and think of a time where you failed miserably. I'm not talking about that midnight slice of cake you had. I'm talking about those moments where when it was over, you knew you had sinned in an epic way. All right, think about that moment. It's one of those moments, right, where you look back on it, you could wish you could go back in time and tell your younger self, stop being such a fool. Right, we've all had moments like that. We've all had moments where we, we lost our identity, we looked uh, at, at things in this world and we pursued them other than our pursuit of Christ, right. And, and, and we live sometimes with that, that regret and that failure, shame. I remember one time as a young man, I was probably 18 or 19 years old, and I walked into a Best Buy uh, after having a you know, fairly bad day. And I thought to myself, I should take some things home in my jacket without paying for them. And of course, I, I got caught for that. And back in the day, uh, the judge wanted to make an example of me for all my friends, so I actually did jail time. So your pastor has been in jail three days, not a long time, but it was a deterrent, I'll tell you that. And I got to enjoy picking up trash on the side of the highway, for you know, for several weeks and a year and a half probation. And I tell you that because it was one of those moments where I look back and I think, what on earth was I thinking? What, I lost my mind. I have no Recollection of, of like justifying that moment in my life, but I did it. And I looked back and I said, man, what a fool. so I called my mom and she laughed at me. I said, I got arrested. I'm going to jail. And she said, good job. Oh, well, good luck. Thanks. We'll see you when you get out. Come on, mom. But these types of moments, you know, when you look back at your failures, those moments where you chose to rebel against the Lord, it's often because we forget who God created us to be. Right? How he has redeemed us for our sinfulness and called us not just to turn to him in repentance, but to live a new life. And the psalm that we're going to look at today reminds us that those moments are also to tell the coming generation... That, that kind of behavior will lead them into bondage. Right? It's, it's, it's an opportunity for us to use our sin to warn others about what, what happens when we do crazy, stupid things. And I love this passage because it, it reminds me that despite my own foolish and sinful choices, my God has saved us. He has saved me and has been merciful and gracious to me because. He loves me. And he's called me to use my foolish and sinful moments to tell the coming generation about the mercy and grace and faithfulness of our God. So God's faithfulness to us, despite our wanderings in the wilderness, will be our focus over this next several weeks. And I'm excited to share this time in God's word together. So let me invite you. Uh, I like it when we stand together and read God's word, because That, you know, I like hearing your voices for a while. You you get enough of me. But let's stand together and read these verses as one voice and encourage our hearts with the beauty of God's word. This is Psalm 78, verses 1 through 8. Be up on the screens. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your great love, your mercy, your, your grace that pours out on us through, through your son Jesus. We Thank you for the precious gift of your word, how it reminds us that even though we were lost in sin and rebellion, you made a way for us to have life abundant life in you. And so, Lord, we ask by your Holy Spirit, teach us this morning. Teach us to be more like you. Give us a heart for the coming generation that they would have the same passion for the Lord as we do. And, Lord, speak to us that we might know you and praise you for being a God who loves us so much. And we ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. You may be seated. And thanks for letting me make you stand up and sit down and read God's word. I appreciate it. So Psalm 78 verses 1-8 through 8, start with Asaph who is the, uh, the psalm writer describing one of God's greatest gifts to his children. The giving of his word to the nation of Israel. Now in Romans chapter 3 Paul actually tells us that one of the greatest advantages that the Israelites had is that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. Now, that, that Greek phrase translated oracles of God is logion theo. A better translation of that phrase is actually the word of God or the words of God. The, the Jews were entrusted with the very words of Yahweh. Now, God has given us his word not just for our own generation, but also so that we would communicate it to the following generations, that it would be passed down from from generation to generation. This is why Moses commanded the Israelites to instruct their children in the truth of God's word. So when we tell the next generation about God's work and his word, it's, it's with the hope that they would know to trust God for themselves. That's the hope, especially as parents, right? Your hope is that you would tell your children about the truth of God's word and his works in your life and that they would trust God for themselves. When our trust in God wavers, when we forget his wonderful works in our lives, we go into a Best Buy and we steal things. We easily fall into disobedience and sin. And if the next generation is well instructed, they will be more likely obedient. That's the hope. And they'll hopefully avoid many of the errors of their forefathers. How many of you look at your kids when they're doing something sinful and you think, they're just like me. They're doing that because they're me. I think that all the time. I look at my four kids and I just apologize to them pretty regularly wish you were more like your mother. Oh <laughs> But the, the hope for our children to grow up in the admonition and, and trust of the Lord is one of the greatest desires we have as parents. And in verse eight, Asaph describes the sins of the previous generations of Israel. He calls them a stubborn and rebellious generation. there in verse eight. Because their hearts were not steadfast. Their spirits were not faithful to God. And ASAP's focus is not on their, their obedience or disobedience. It's on their hearts and attitudes more than anything else. Those who keep the commandments of Yahweh might not always do it perfectly. This gives me hope, church. But for those whose hearts are focused on obedience. Notice I did not say are perfect in obedience. Whose hearts are focused on, our obedient, on our obedience. The Lord is patient and long-suffering. This is what the wilderness wanderings of Israel teach us. That our God is patient and long-suffering if our hearts turn towards him. Even if it's just a little bit. Look at verses 9-11 through 11 in verse uh, chapter 78. It says, the Ephraimites armed with the bow turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he has shown them. Now, the tribe of Ephraim was one of the larger tribes of Israel. And in the book of Hosea, we're told that the tribe of Ephraim were the leaders of the rebellion and disloyalty that cursed the entire nation of Israel. Now, the reference here in Psalm 78 isn't isn't a slight just on the tribe Of Ephraim, But it's more likely an analogy about how all of God's people rebelled against him in the wilderness. Every single one of them turned their back on God at one point or another. And he's using this analogy how well-armed and well-trained soldiers refused to charge into battle. What a travesty that was. Now God gives you and I spiritual resources for every battle we face. This is, again, what we looked at in the book of Colossians. But the effectiveness of those resources is dependent upon our decision to actually use them. Every one of us has been given victory over sin. Amen? Amen. You have been set free. So why do you sin? You've been given the perfect sacrifice of Jesus that sets you free, but often, we fail in our spiritual journey because we turn back on the day of battle like the Ephraimites. And most often that's because the resources the Lord has made available to us are not being used. When you feel spiritually defeated, when you're tempted with sin, do you run to God's word? Do you run to him in prayer? Do you come to the Lord's table seeking forgiveness? Do you spend time communing with the saints and with the Lord. Now These are all incredible resources we've been given to help us face the spiritual temptations and conflicts of our day. And too often they are an afterthought. And I'll tell you that day in Best Buy I wasn't thinking, oh Lord, keep me from temptation. I was thinking, yeah, I need a new whatever. I actually don't remember what I took that day. I didn't get to keep it. (laughs) It's Unbelievable. Now, the Ephraimites not only ignored the Lord's resources, it says they refused to walk in his law. They refused. They forgot his works and his wonders. Ephraim had forgotten their trust in Yahweh, whose infinite power and goodness they had seen and experienced countless times. Think about Israel in the wilderness and all that they saw and experienced. Now think about your own life. How many times has the Lord been faithful to you? How many times has He delivered? How many times has He cared, comforted, been that strong tower that you needed? We forget so easily those moments where God's care is so prevalent in our lives and and when we forget those moments, Man, we just wander into sin. It's one of the greatest deterrents for our spiritual growth is our forgetfulness. Our forgetfulness of everything that the Lord has done in our past. The forgetfulness of his faithfulness to us. And my, my favorite passage in scripture scripture is Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 through 24. Yeah, I know it's lamentations. It really is my favorite. Because the first part of Lamentations is just sorrow and heartache and brokenness, sin abounding. And on the end of the Lamentations, the same thing. But right smack dab in the middle of chapter 3 are these words. Jeremiah writes, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. Man, I think about that verse a lot. Especially when you have those bad days and you think, man, what a failure am I. But then I run to this verse and I remind myself that the Lord's mercies are new tomorrow morning also. Calling to mind the steadfast love of the Lord, reminding yourself that his mercies never come to an end, that they're new every morning, is the key to remaining faithful to God till the end. Please hear me on that. The key to making it to the end of this journey of faith is reminding your heart and your mind daily that your God loves you, that his love will never come to an end. He'll never give up on you. He'll never throw in the towel. He'll never look at your sin and say, that was it. You met your quota. You're out. That's not how it works. His mercies never come to an end. Church family, we need need to preach that truth to ourselves every single day. Write it. Stick it next to your, your bed. Look at it when you get up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you that your mercies are new today. Great is your faithfulness. This helps us to not lose hope. To persevere in the journey. When we look at this world and we feel this, the struggles are too much or the sin abounds in too great a way. All the struggles and horrors of this broken world we look at and we can get discouraged. But if you let your mind focus on those things... You're going to fall into sin. You're going to be defeated. Instead, look at the truth that our God is faithful. That his steadfast love is new every single morning. Asaph does this exact thing when he remembers in verses 12-16 through how God helped his people through their journey in the wilderness. Look what he says. He writes, in the sight of of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt. In the fields of zone. He divided the sea and let them pass through it. And he made the water stand like a heap. In the daytime he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Church, he is reminding Israel that God performed incredible miracles in their sight. He was faithful every single day. There was not a day in the wilderness where they were without. And they were living in the desert. Now verses 17-20 through as he continues give us instructions mainly by way of a negative example. As Asaph reminds us of the perverse ingratitude of the Israelite people to their God in the wilderness. Look what he writes. He says, yet they sin still more against him. Rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They didn't like the manna, they wanted the meat. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that the water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? They're mocking God. In light of his incredible provision, his incredible faithfulness to them, they're mocking him. If Israel's first sin was in ignorance of God's wondrous works, forgetting what he had plainly done in their sight, their second sin is clearly a lack of faith. It's unbelief. They questioned God's provision in the wilderness. They didn't believe he would provide for them. And then when he did provide, they had contempt for his provision. Lord, you brought me through that trial, but, you know, that's not the way I would have done it. (laughs) Wasn't really the best way. As if we know better. But notice how they they mock God saying, can you spread a table for me in in the wilderness? And then just think about Psalm 23. Which says... You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. It's almost like the psalmist is answering, can God provide a table for us in the wilderness? You bet. Absolutely he can. The most incredible table that you can possibly imagine. But Israel's heart is hard in this moment. They don't believe, so instead they run to their doubts and their unbelief instead of trusting in the provision And the faithfulness of their God. Now I would encourage you to read through the entire psalm. It's it's long, 72 verses. So I'm not reading every verse to you this morning because I don't have that much time. But I would encourage you to go back and recount this psalm during the week. And and when you get to verses 21 to 39, it's, it's one of the best examples in scripture of what not to do. So, if you want to know what not to do, how not to be a faithful Christian, this is, this is the antithesis for you right here. Now, the wandering Israelites, they're, they're the epitome of ungratefulness. And Asaph tells us that they were never, ever thankful for God's provision in the wilderness. It literally rained down bread from heaven. I, that's a, incredible. And they're like, this is not good. I don't like this bread. Why didn't he make it rain down meat? I don't know. Almost immediately after Israel is, is delivered from the Egyptian army at the Red Sea, the people start demanding and, and complaining to the Lord because they don't have the food and the water that they need. And so God, of course, provides, striking, you know, having water come from the rock, raining bread from heaven. And you'd think that the miraculous provision of these resources would have been been met with at least a little bit of thankfulness, I would have been like, whoa. Actually, I probably would have been, I probably would have been complaining also. If we're, if, we're, if we're being honest, I would have been like, it's hot, we're in the desert, I don't like this. But thankfulness is not what happened with Israel in the wilderness. God rains down provision from heaven, brings water up from the deep, and it's not enough for them. They're like, the Lord needs to give us meat. And when God judges them for their sinful grumbling and calls them out on it, what do they do? They complain even more. Uh, Asaph reminds us that despite all of that, the Lord was patient with his people, forgiving them time and time again. Look at verses 36 and 37. This is their response. Asaph writes, they flattered him with their mouths. They lied to him with their tongues. Their heart was not steadfast towards him, and they were not faithful to his covenant. You see, church, here's the key. Israel's repentance was fake. They were hypocrites. They were given the Lord lip service. And I don't know about you, but as you read scripture, there is one thing I think the Lord detests more than everything else. Hypocrisy. Fake Faithfulness. A mere show is what the Israelites were doing. Their repentance wasn't rooted in their hearts. And because of their hypocritical repentance, most of them never made it to the promised land. Though the Lord Lord demonstrated his power to his people every single day. Asaph tells us in verses 40-64 through about how Israel again forgets God's faithfulness and rebels against him. Uh, This is the pattern throughout the Old Testament and really throughout the New Testament and probably throughout all of human history. God is faithful. We are not. God is faithful. We are not. And on we go. God's overwhelming love for his people just again and again and again is the theme of this entire wilderness wandering season. And these verses in 40 to 64 stress again the failure of Israel because even after Yahweh forgives them for their first rebellion they continue to reject his sovereign love. They give him lip service. So much so that God actually ends up judging the people and no one in that generation makes it to the land of Israel or to the land of Canaan except Caleb and Joshua. Every other person doesn't make it. Now, that could be a discouraging way to end, but it doesn't end there, thankfully. Despite the failures of Israel in the wilderness, these last verses of the passage, verses 65 through 72, just overflow with hope. Look at these verses. We're going to read 67 to 72. This is the Lord's response. It says, He rejected the tent of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim. But he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loves. He built a sanctuary like the high heavens, like the earth, which he has founded forever. He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, and Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Like a mighty warrior, the Lord revives and rescues his people despite their unfaithfulness. And this is a foreshadowing of the deliverance that that God would ultimately bring through Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, the king of Israel. So so what's the lesson for us in all this? What are we to do when when we think about our unfaithfulness and God's just steadfast, constant love? Do we throw up our hands and just let sin abound? Paul says, absolutely not. This psalm reminds us of God's provision for his people through Jesus Christ. The one who would shepherd his people and guide them to the ultimate final land which God has prepared for them. A real promised land is coming. And the challenge for us is to tell this story to the coming generations. See, that's the theme of this entire psalm. To remind the next generation often, not only of God's works that he's revealed to us in his word, but also of his great work in our own lives. The lengths that he's gone to redeem us, restore us. The patience that he's had for each one of us. The steadfast love that he offers us each and every morning. Our lesson is to tell these stories to our children and our children's children. And not just your own. (laughs) So, So I should tell my kids my Best Buy story. Why? Not to glorify my foolishness. To glorify God's faithfulness to me despite my foolishness. Church, the the next generation has nothing, nothing they're being told about God is true. They're being told that this is all just a joke. Something that your parents believe. They need to hear about God's faithfulness. And who's going to tell them if we're unwilling I want you to go back and think about your own sinful moment. That moment I asked you to think about at the beginning. You got it? Well, how can you share that truth with the coming generations in a way that gives glory to God? Not to, not to glorify in the fact that, oh, yeah, I, was, I did drugs or I, I failed in this way or I, uh, adultery, whatever. I don't, it doesn't matter what your sinful moment was. We all have them. And as you share that story with your kids, and some of you are thinking, I would never tell my kids about that. And you shouldn't if you're just going to make it about your failure. You shouldn't. If you're going to make it about how God was gracious to you, how he was patient with you, how he walked with you in all that brokenness and brought you to a place of wholeness, then tell that story, church. Because that generation needs to hear it. Even though there are consequences, even though you have heartache with it, even though you struggled in that decision, how did the Lord refine you through all of it? How did He bring you from that moment to this one? Think back at all His faithfulness. It's just overwhelming if you sit down and think about it. How did He use that moment to make you more like Jesus? have you told that story to your kids and your grandkids and to the other kids in this church? See, even when you were at your weakest, God is faithful. Even when you're at your most sinful moment, the most epic failure in your life, your God's love for you never wavered. It never changed. He didn't look at you and be like, ugh, disgusting. He looked at you and he said, you are my beloved. I sent my son to die for this moment, to redeem you from it. His commitment to you never fails. Tell this to the coming generation, church. Tell this to the young people in this church family. I, can I tell you, you might think I'm too old to help with the kids. And they need to hear your story of God's faithfulness. So you want to be a youth leader, come talk to Gay. You want to help Jessica with Sunday school or on Wednesday nights, come talk to Jessica and, and, and use those moments to build up this next generation With the truth that our Lord is always faithful. They need you. They need you to tell them. This is your chance to proclaim God's faithfulness to the coming generation so that they too, as the psalmist says, would set their hope in God and not forget the works of God. We don't want them to forget. Their faithfulness needs to be built up by what God has done through you. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for your unfailing love. And we thank you even even for those moments of sin, not, not because of the sin, but because in those moments you showed us how great was your love for us. But you never turned your back on us. You never said, Enough's enough. You said, You're my beloved. And in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. So we praise you for the precious gift of Jesus, for his faithfulness to us. And Lord, may that same passion that you've shown to us, that same love, be poured out from our hearts to this next generation, that they too would know that you are God and you are good. We ask this all in Christ's precious name. Amen.